Phone, uh, on your phone and somebody else is also on speakerphone in their vehicle and you get that kind of like uh, hearing yourself that's what this is like I feel your pain <laughs> I will do uh, I'll do my best to work with what we've got okay my name's distance I'm a recovered alcoholic uh, I always say this, so despite my natural appearance, I'm actually very happy to be here. Uh, I know how I can look sometimes. So I'm very grateful and very honored to be here uh, amongst uh, all you alcoholic weirdos like myself. Mm -hmm. I'm also very pleased with the introduction of the clappers and kazoos and those things this year. It's a really good improvement. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay. Oh. So I, I mean, I, <laughs> I started out. I started out like many of us did. Um, again, I, I don't. Uh, I don't go chronologically, as far as I know. I also don't have cue cards. So if I start going sideways, just start clapping those things at me or something. Um, started out like many of us did. I think. Uh, very very young, right? Um, <laughs> I remember. Uh, I won't say what book it was, but I was ripping pages out of a very well-known, very used book, very large, uh, when I was young, ripping pages out and rolling uh, grass from the lawn in them and smoking that uh, when I was really, really little. Um, and I found, I found alcohol and I found drugs as well when I was, uh, when I was quite young, and something that I kind of came to realize later in recovery was that I displayed so many of the signs and symptoms of alcoholism long before I ever touched alcohol. And for me, what happened when I found alcohol was I felt like I was finally a part of something. You know, even after that first sip, that first drink, I felt like I was a part of something. And I recognized that that's what I was looking for when I was, when I was young, when I was little, right? I felt like, and it says this in our literature, it says, you know, like, we kind of have this feeling like we didn't quite belong. And I had that long before I drank. I could be in a room full of people and I have that, just like it also says, that many, most alcoholics are tortured by loneliness. And I was tortured by loneliness long before alcohol and long before drugs. And the reality for me is that when I found that, I had that sense of, I, I belong, you know? 
I belong. I finally, like, I, I was there. I finally found it. It filled that kind of hole in my, in my soul and my heart. Uh, and it solved a lot of my problems until it didn't. You know, and it was really fun and really great until it wasn't. Uh, I don't know if any of you can relate. <laughs> I did, uh, I, you know, I hear all the time, I was like, I don't think any of us came into AA on a winning streak. Uh, I, don't, I don't believe that, uh, that everything was just fine and dandy and I just like, you know, waltzed into a room being like, I'm just gonna make it better. You know, it's fine now, but... Mm. I came into recovery at 95 pounds. I'm about six feet tall, give or take. Uh, so I certainly was not on a winning streak. So I was born and raised in, uh, literally like in the church. My father was an Orthodox Christian minister. Uh, so that was my upbringing. He was a Christian minister for 25 years. And that's, uh, you know, the other big book that I was just maybe, refer maybe referencing earlier. <clears throat> the other bigger book was, it's like, it says this in this book, and this is what we believe, this is what we do, and there was no gray. It was black or white, and that was it. Um, and again, I, I don't believe I ever fully subscribed to, to that way of living uh, when I was young, and I was constantly trying to find a place where I felt like I could fit in and I could belong. I understand, and I've worked with a, a few men in my years in, through sponsorship and through working in the, in the treatment and uh, recovery industry, if you will. Uh, I went from that upbringing to, you know, later on in life where, you know, so in the beginning it was like, there is a God, this is what it is, don't, don't question what it is, it's this. Uh, there is no other thing. So God, to me, growing up, was just this one thing. I didn't understand that there even could be another version of it somewhere. So very, very religious, um, you know, just before my teenage years, like hands in the air, in the worship band, you know, every Saturday showing up and, you know, uh, playing drums in the band for church. I went from being extremely religious to more agnostic, which is literally like, maybe there is a God, maybe there isn't a God, where's my booze and drugs? I went from maybe there is, maybe there isn't, to there absolutely is no God, uh, became an atheist. I went from being an atheist to becoming a militant atheist, which was, if you talk to me about God, I will set your books and homes on fire. And I went from being a militant atheist to 95 pounds waltzing into a, a treatment facility and into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, and sure enough, there's that big giant three-letter word on the wall everywhere, uh, God, right? And I, I like to believe that I live a relatively spiritually-based, disciplined life today. I do not have an issue, I don't take issue with calling what I believe is my creator, my higher power, whatever. I don't, I don't take issue with calling it God because I know what it means to me. Uh, and my God is none of your business. And your God's none of my business. And that's the beautiful thing about Alcoholics Anonymous. Right? I didn't understand that when I came in. Because again, God was one thing. And I've worked with so many men that say things like, well, I can't really do like these certain steps though. Like if we're gonna go through these steps, because the God thing, like you wouldn't understand, you know, you wouldn't get it because, you know, insert excuse here. Uh, my, you know, my family was really religious growing up, so I, I can't do the God stuff. It's like, oh, let's talk. <laughs> or, you know, well, I can't do it because I'm an atheist. It's like, 
Yeah, try me. I've lived on all seven sides, or however many sides of that spiritual fence, and it is my favorite thing to do, is to talk to people about God now. You know? Oh, man. The chapter We Agnostics is, uh, is so incredible for that, too. And the reality is, is I needed to understand... I needed to understand what the disease of alcoholism was to get to a point where I, was, I had to open up this thing just enough to maybe understand that there was a solution and maybe I don't know what's best for me, maybe I don't know what I'm doing. And I didn't understand. I did not understand the disease of alcoholism when I came into recovery. I will also state that I did not come into recovery to get sober. <laughs> Uh, I did not. I did not walk through the doors of a treatment facility, and I did not walk into Alcoholics Anonymous with the desire to stop drinking or doing all the other fun stuff, right? I came in because I was so tired of just living a nightmare every single day. Uh, this is great. This demographic, I can use references, and you'll actually understand it. Talking to younger people in AA meetings that don't understand my references makes me feel... Very old. <laughs> so it's like Nightmare on Elm Street meets Groundhog Day. Right? Yeah. That was my life. That was my life before I came into recovery. Uh, no matter what I did, I would just wake up and it would be the same thing over and over and over, day in and day out. And I could not stop. I could not stop. And I had never really met anybody like that before. Um, as my wife had mentioned earlier, um, you know, I just, I, I wasn't like other people. And I have, I drank and I used with many, many people that did like I did, you know, in the actual consumption. But then all of a sudden a Sunday would come around and they'd say, oh man, I got to put it down and work tomorrow. And I was like, wow, that's a neat trick. <laughs> uh, just leave everything you've got left then, because I'm going to be here for another week. <laughs> you know, I've always said, I'm only addicted to two things, more and yours. <laughs> That's the way it was for me. And people could put it down and they could stop. And it talks about in our literature too, like in my, again, like sincerely, my hat's off to you. If you can do a round like a, a boat face and drink like a gentleman, my hat's off to you. I cannot. I cannot. Um, yeah, people, people that can have a substantial enough incident, as an example, right? A substantial enough incident to say, wow, I should really, maybe I should consider quitting, you know, like a DUI, or, um, you know, wife left them, or lost a job, and they say, wow, I've really got to re reconsider my life options here. And they stop by themselves. <laughs> And I have no idea. I have no idea how they do that. I am not one of those people. Uh, try to, I can't remember if you actually got through my, re my, my reference earlier or not, but I'm going to do it now. Um, actually, I'll save it. I'll save it. I also just want to say before I forget, I, I've spoken at a few, um, a few places a few different times. And uh, again, I've been to like the Banff Roundup as an example, and people get to the end of their speaking and their story, and they talk about their life and how it is now. I don't usually get to that point at the end. I'm all riled up on God and the steps. Um, my wife, everybody. Yeah. 
Yeah. And my son, everybody. Yeah. My son and the clappers. Yeah. Uh, that is the direct result of the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. So, thanks, everybody. Because I will forget that at the end, I guarantee it. So may as well get it over with. Aww. In the, in the big book that we all signed on the way in, there is a sticker on it which describes and uh, illustrates the cycle of alcoholism. And that's what I learned in, in this book. So page XXV, the doctor's opinion, all the way to page 43 is step one in this book. That's 50 pages of material for me to understand what my deal is, right? What alcoholism really is. Again, I thought, I thought AA was going to teach me how to control and moderate, you know? Control and moderate. I also did not believe that I was alcoholic for quite some time, even in AA. I did not. I said, I'm just a drug addict, and it's just this one drug, this one way, and if I can just stop doing that, then life will be okay. I'll be able to drink, smoke crack like a gentleman on Saturdays, woo, and have a nice life. Not the case. So, I will not direct quote and or bastardize. I will just read it from the book. Here we go. Men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive that while they admit is injurious, they cannot, after a time, differentiate the true from the false. To them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. They are restless, irritable, and discontented, unless they can again experience the sense of ease and comfort which comes at once by taking a few drinks, drinks which they see other, others taking with impunity. After they have succumbed to the desire again, as so many do, and the phenomenon of craving develops, they pass through the well-known stages of a spree, emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to drink again. This is repeated over and over, and unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, there's a very little hope of his recovery. So, my natural state as an alcoholic is restless, irritable, and discontented. When I am sober, Five years, six years, 25 years sober, or five, six hours, 25 days sober, it doesn't matter. My natural state is restless, irritable, and discontented, left to my own devices, right? So again, when I start feeling that, that restless, right, like I'm gonna crawl out of my skin, and I start getting irritable, like I swear to God, if that guy in the glasses looks at me that way again, I'm gonna, right? I go from that to the discontented, which is, I don't have what I want, I don't have what I need, I never have, I never will, you know. The reality is that I'm not happy, I'm not happy, discontented, right, nothing's ever good enough, I'm never good enough. And then I start thinking to myself, man, I hate feeling this way, what would stop me feeling this way? And years and years and years of programming in my mind and my body tells me, go pick up that first drink. And in active alcoholism, I do that, you know, usually without even a thought. 
Sometimes I would actually have that thought like I should pick up and then literally it was like I blacked out in being like sober blackout and I've got the drink in my hand and I say, how did, I, how did that happen? You know? And I take that first one, I succumb to the desire again and I take that first drink, the whatever, the crack of the can or the twist of the whatever and it goes in me and I have that just few seconds of <sighs> that's nice. And then guess what it is? It's more and it's yours, you know? I take that first one, it sets off that phenomenon of craving. Craving, so craving only happens when it's in my body. I know there's a lot of other um, programs out there, there's a lot of other um, recovery kind of ways of living, and that word gets used elsewhere in outside help as well, and it confuses a lot of alcoholics, and it confuses a lot of drug addicts, especially in treatment centers and things like that. I hear guys with 60 days sober saying, oh, I had a really, really, really strong craving today. No, you didn't. <laughs> You've been sober for 60 days. You are no longer experiencing cravings. That's the obsession of the mind, right? So that craving, that more, 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 yours, yours, yours gets set off, right? And I, I enter into the well-known stages of a spree, which could be a week, it could be a month, it could be a year, whatever. For me, it was just go until there's nothing left. Whether that's money, whether that's booze, whether that's other things, places to stay, right? Uh, I go into the well-known stages of a spree. And again, when I've run out of money, I've run out of booze, I've run out of places to stay, you know, I've peed my pants on somebody's couch enough times that they don't really want to have me around anymore. I emerge remorseful. I said I was just going to have one on Friday and now it's three, seven, you know, three to seven Sundays later and I've run out of money, I've spent my rent, I don't have anything left, nobody wants me around. How did this happen again? How did this happen? I said I was just going to have one or two. Emerging remorseful. Here it comes. We get into the firm resolution, right? This is the alcoholics, you know, anthem. You can sing it with me if you want. I'm never doing that again, all right? Firm resolution, I'm never doing that again. I'm never hurting myself like that again. I'm never hurting my family like that again. I'm never spending all my rent money again. I'm done, no more. I'm not drinking anymore, that was it. And what I've always said, if you hooked me up to a lie detector test, in those moments, in the firm resolution moments where I said to myself, I said to whoever was around, if I was lucky enough to have somebody around, I said, I'm never doing that again. I would have passed those tests. I would have passed those lie detector tests. In that moment when I said, I'm done. I meant it. With every part of my being, I meant it. And I was telling the truth. And then you give me five minutes, five dollars, five drinks later, whatever, you know. Well, sorry, not five drinks, five sodas later, maybe. And where am I? I'm restless. I'm irritable. I'm discontent. I start to dry out on my own devices. I start to get sober. And then I get restless, and I get irritable, and I get discontent, and then all of a sudden, how can I stop feeling like this? And I pick it up, I go to the spree, I pee my pants, how did this happen? You know, I'm never doing that again! Restless, irritable, just over and over and over, this cycle. 
of alcoholism. And that's it. That's my life. That's the nightmare. That's what I wanted to stop happening. Right? And I didn't understand how that could possibly happen. So, coming in as a militant atheist, you know, I believe in nothing. Bordering on nihilism, really, at this point. I was confronted with this idea that maybe that's not a great way to live, and maybe these people, you weirdos, have a better way of doing it, and maybe I should just start listening. Maybe I should read the black stuff on the pieces of paper instead of the white stuff, you know. <laughs> I don't remember exactly where this is in the book, but, and I will paraphrase, ambassador guys. So, no one, before entering the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, no one had ever been able to tell me anything like that. I was so confused. You know, what the hell is the matter with me? Why can other people put it down on Sunday and go to work? How can other people hold jobs? How can other people control their bladders when they sleep? You know? Good for you guys. I can't do it. Nobody could explain that to me. Nobody could tell me, this is, this is what's up. This is what's the matter with you. And I will maintain to this day that I did not have a drinking problem. I had a drinking solution to my thinking and feeling and living without alcohol problem. I had a living sober problem. I had no idea how to do it, and drinking solved that problem for me. Right? So, I got really excited. I got really excited when somebody could explain, this is the cycle, this is what it looks like, this is why you are the way you are, this is who you are, this is what it means when you say, hey, my name's Distance, I'm alcoholic. It says in here, Again, paraphrasing. It says, we watch the hope in the eyes of the newcomer rise as we discuss the alcohol problem. Right? So that was me, wide-eyed and bushy-tailed, you know, skin hanging off of my bones. Um, so I got excited. You know, oh man, that's, that's the problem. Right? That's the problem. That's amazing. You guys can finally explain it to me. It's like, this is great. Okay, okay, that's the problem. So what's the solution? Like, give me the solution. Like, oh, you want the solution? Like, yeah, I want the solution. Really? You want it? Give it to me, give it to me. What's the solution? Oh, it's God. God is the solution. No! <laughs> like, I've been duped. You know? I know God, and I don't want anything to do with that guy. Right? And again, this is just my own personal interpretation. I'm not saying this is universal for everybody. When I heard the word God, what I see in my mind is a white, bearded, haired, Caucasian man sitting on a throne in the sky, wielding a lightning bolt, waiting for me to swear at my mom or eat a pork chop. Right? That was, that's what I saw, and that's what I understood God to be. What does that guy have to do <laughs> with quitting drinking and living a different way of life? 
Uh, I really thought, as many of us I'm sure do, you know, okay, so I was really excited a moment ago, and now it's a cult. So when do I start paying my fees and dues? When do I get my recovery cape? And when do I get my wheelbarrow full of big books to throw at homeless people? <laughs> And it was a really big obstacle for me. It was. Uh, it was a massive obstacle. The God thing, right? And again, I was one of those men like I work with now. You don't get it. You don't understand. I can't do these God steps because X, Y, Z. Because this is what I know about God. Um, <laughs> I don't think I've ever said this in an AA meeting, so here it goes. Uh, one of my arguments as an atheist, was. Do you remember the Crusades? The Christian Crusades, right? And how many people were killed in the name of God, right? That was one of my arguments. Somebody asked me, in recovery, early recovery, when I was trying to argue about God, and they said, Distance, do you remember Hitler? I said, well, I didn't know the guy personally, but yes, I'm aware of who Hitler is. And they said, they had the actual number, I don't have the number, but do you know how many, do you remember how many people died, you know, in that, with Hitler? Uh, and he said the number, and it was very substantial, right? And he says, Distance, what religion do you think Hitler was? I said, I, I don't know, Christian or Catholic or whatever, and they said, Hitler was an atheist. <laughs> my argument, man, my argument went down the drain real quick with that one. Hitler was an atheist. All those people killed off in the name of no God. Right? And here I am saying, well, this is, one, this is the reason. This is one of my big reasons why I can't believe in God. Meanwhile, right? Sorry to any atheists in here. Mm. But again, if you are sitting here and you are an atheist, I would love to talk to you after this is done. <laughs> if I can get through it, I'm quite sure anybody can. So, back to the lie detector test, right? Every morsel of my flesh sack and being said, I'm not going to do that again. I'm never doing that again. And no matter what I did, no matter what I tried, I did it again. Clearly, and I believe this, I knew this factually when I came in, that drugs and alcohol, addiction, alcoholism, whatever you want to call it, was bigger than me. Bigger than me. No matter what I did, I could not. So it was a power greater than myself could not conquer it alone. This power was inevitably going to destroy me and kill me. And I've believed in that power greater than myself. Years and years and years of living out there in active alcoholism and addiction. So then why is it so difficult for me to believe that maybe somewhere out there there's the opposite of that thing? Maybe there's a power greater than myself out there that does not want to see me kill myself that wants to see me live a happy, decent, joyous, and free, sober life. Why is that so difficult to believe? That opened the door a little bit. That opened the door enough for me to start moving through some of these steps, and in step two. 
And in step two, we're asked to create whatever kind of a God works for me, which is crazy um, and very radical. Right? This is a program of like radical change, believe it or not. I also hear people, and again, I don't mean to offend anybody, but I am a weirdo and a nerd with words and just the way things are said. And I've heard lots of folks say, you know, like, uh, my God is testing me today. God is testing me. I forgot to tie my shoelaces and I fell down the stairs. God is testing me. I had a job interview and my car broke down. God is testing me. And I said, in step two, we're asked to create our own conception of a God that can work for us and with us. What kind of a prick did you create for yourself? <laughs> right? There's also, I'm not going to say what video it is, but there's a funny video on the internet, and I use this to, when I work with sponsees too. Um, it says, when God gives you lemons, you find a new God. <laughs> right? i got to find something that works with me. Something that can work for me. Right? And there were, even in the beginning, I did not subscribe to this grand idea of God. I had to use an acronym. I just said, good orderly direction, being a decent, sober human being. Being decent, for me, requires being sober, believe it or not. Uh, and that was enough. That was enough to get through the rest, you know? Crazy, just crazy. So, in step three, God as we understood him is underlined. It's also underlined again in step 11. And again, this is just a language thing, and I've heard this a million times in meetings and conventions and roundups, and, you know, like, God has we understood him, but I'll never understand God, you know? And that's not, that's not what it means. Uh, from what I've been taught and my understanding, God as we understood him in step three is a little collection of those tiny moments where I can see maybe there is something bigger at play here. You know, maybe there is something looking out for me. That's all it is in step three. That's what Bill wanted it to be in step three. That's it, a little collection of those moments, be like, just maybe, just maybe, there's something out there. I'll give you an example, and I use this one all the time. When I was in active addiction and alcoholism, right, uh, I was living in an undeveloped basement of this very wealthy woman's home in a very wealthy part of town. I, don't, I still don't remember how exactly I landed that opportunity. Uh, so I was living in the basement of this beautiful house. It had an attached garage. Um, she had just, yeah, anyways, it was beautiful. The attached garage means something in the story, trust me. So. Uh, I'm sleeping on a like two-inch air mattress. That's probably an inch because I was too lazy to blow it up the whole way. <laughs> sleeping on this air mattress in this undeveloped basement. You know, I'm looking up. It's all these kind of like um, events, you know, like this, that are kind of wide open down there because it's not finished. And uh, I'm down there, and I am fast asleep, fast asleep, dreaming about something or other. And uh, in my sleep. I had this booming voice say, wake up, you've got something on your face. So I, I woke up you know, from my dream and sure enough, I had something on my face. I had been vomiting on myself in my sleep. 
and I could not think or, you know, I couldn't understand anything that was going on. I tried to sit up, my head felt like it was a million pounds, like I couldn't move it. I would sit up, I'd fall. You know, and I don't know how many minutes or hours it took, but I would stand up and everything was just vibrating like this. And I just couldn't understand. And uh, it just kind of in and out of consciousness. And I somehow managed to crawl my way up the stairs. And I called my mom somehow also. And I said something to the effect of like, I'm really sick. I don't know what's going on. I'm sick. I'm sick. And she said, oh, sweetie, you probably just have the flu or a cold. I can stop by over there. Maybe in a few hours. I'm just really busy. Okay, bye-bye. And I managed to crack the front door open, trying to get out, and that's the last thing I remember. The next thing I remember was coming to in my parents' house on the other side of town. And I still, probably for about a week, I couldn't understand what the hell happened. They thought that I was just using some crazy drugs or something, and I had this really terrible experience. It was like, I wasn't even doing anything that night. I wasn't, you know, nothing, just like, couldn't, couldn't put two and two together. So I ended up, about a week later, I went back home to my basement, and the woman was there. And she said, oh yeah, I've been really sick too. And she lives on the top floor of this like three-level house. I've been really sick too, I've been mostly being in bed. And I didn't find out until about a week after that when she came and actually like confessed to me. Uh, she was also a raging alcoholic. She had gone out that night to a club, you know, in her nice BMW SUV, went out drinking, uh, on the way home decided to stop at the gas station just down the, ro down the road, fill up her vehicle, drive home into the attached garage, close the door, and she opened the mudroom, which was directly above my room, my spot on the concrete floor. Uh, those vents were connected to the mudroom, and she opened those doors, left them open, went upstairs and went to sleep. Meanwhile, she did not turn her vehicle off. Uh, I found out later that it fully ran itself out of gas, a full tank, about 75 liters, give or take, right? She left it running, ran it out of gas. So little old distance is sleeping on an air mattress. This vehicle is running itself out of gas in the attached garage above where I'm sleeping. Carbon monoxide poisoning. Everything I know about carbon monoxide poisoning, which isn't a lot, but I think it's pretty common knowledge that when you do that, you kind of just fall asleep and you just don't wake up again. Am I right or am I like, I'm also not a scientist? Um, I said, damn it, man, I'm an alcoholic, not a marine biologist. Um, see, people understand old references. This is a great place to be. Wake up! You've got something on your face. That's God as I understand him in step three in early recovery. That's it. Even if it's just that one story, that one story where I can say, you know, I had a voice in my dream, I said, wake up, I woke up, and if I hadn't have woken up, I'd be dead. That's it. And if that's all I have, that's enough. That's great. That's what it means. God as we understood him in step three is a little collection of those tiny little moments where I can say, maybe there is something that actually is looking out for me. That's it. And by the time I get to step 11, I'm supposed to be starting to invite whatever this thing is into the, my step work. All right, so when I'm going to step four, I say, okay, God, whatever you may or may not be, please help me out with this. And I'm going to start having more of those little moments where I can see maybe there's something at play here. You know, and that's it. So by the time I get to step 11, 
how I understand God is going to look very different than what it did in step three. And that's it. And I argued, I argued so much, so much about the God thing. And again, I was just like, it's too simple. It's too simple. It's too easy. No, there's got to be more to it. Right? I sincerely believe that I have never met a person too stupid for Alcoholics Anonymous or the 12 Steps. But I have met many people that are too smart for it. Right? I was too smart for it <laughs> for a while. Uh, and now I'm happy to say I'm one of the stupid ones. <laughs> Woo! Mm -hmm. Thank you. <laughs> I'm getting close to my time. Eh? I did not mean to stay on the step one, two, and three thing. Just really quick, um, you don't have to like put your hands up. You can make some kind of weird sound if you'd like. Do we have, I wasn't here for the beginning of the roundup. Do we have any new-ish people here, newcomers? Can you give me like a or something, anything? Just like to scream? Okay, cool. Maybe that's why. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I will say, too, uh, if there are any young people uh, around. I came into recovery at 21 years old. I turned 22 in a treatment center. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's possible. It is possible. I encountered a lot of, like, I spilled more beer on the floor than you drank in your entire life. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I will say, and uh, I used to work with youth. I, I used to work with uh, homeless youth in shelters. Um, I know more kids, 18 years old, 18 months sober, that have more wisdom, life experience, empathy, compassion, all those things, than most people I know with 25 plus years sober. It's also one of the reasons that I don't disclose my age and I don't disclose my sober time uh, very often. I will say I was in a meeting, um, I was chairing this midnight meeting uh, in Calgary that happened every Friday night once upon a time. I had this old timer in there who was there every week and he was asking, I, I used to bring guys from treatment centers too, and he said, how, how long you got in? Oh, six, you know, three weeks. How about you? How, how much sober time do you got? Oh, you know, like three, you know, six, six weeks. Oh, yeah, you, blah, 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 I guess around every distance. How many years have you been in? And I said, I'm just really curious, like, why, what's the reason? What's the reason that you're asking all of us this? And he says, well, you know, clearly somebody like you, you know, like, I'm going to listen to what you've got to say, but this guy over here with three weeks, like, he's got nothing to, you know, I can't learn anything from that guy, you know, three weeks sober, so clearly I don't really... Whoa! <laughs> like, I have learned more from those kids in those shelters than I have from most people that I know like you, you know? And it's not about how much time I have, it's what have I done with that time. I sponsored a guy once, 25 years or 23 years sober, that wanted to hang himself. I said, when was the last time you did a set of steps? He said, 23 years ago in treatment. Have you sponsored anybody in the meantime? No, I know I can't do the sponsorship thing. I don't know enough about the big book. What about service? Do you have a service position? No, no, I can't really find a home group. And you wonder why. You know, you wonder why. And I, I'm not saying I had much to do with this, but I mean, he did a set of steps. He got a service position. 
He started working and sponsoring others. He's like one of the, probably one of the most, if any of you guys are from Red Deer, he's probably like one of the most prominent service figures in Red Deer today. I think he's probably close to 30 years sober now. Um, and he lives a happy and joyous and free life. You know, and he was missing something. That's what he was missing. Mm. What have I done with my time? What have I done? Again, as it was mentioned, it's quality versus quantity. Time is important. Time is important. But I can also just sit around and not drink for a long time and be miserable. But I did not come to Alcoholics Anonymous to get miserable. <laughs> we are not a glum lot. Right? When you have like, oh, I'm going to say this, and then it's never there. <laughs> Perfect. <clears throat> My responsibility as a member of Alcoholics Anonymous and somebody who I do my best um, to, work through, to work through these steps is, uh, is to pass on this message by taking somebody through the book and showing them these are the instructions. This is what I was taught. This is how I have the life that I have today. And I, only, I can only speak for myself, if you haven't noticed. <laughs> I don't use you and we and everything else. I speak for myself. If I get through the first 11 steps and get, receive all these incredible gifts, 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 promises, 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 and I get to that 12th step and I keep it to myself, and I don't share that with somebody else, by sitting down and taking them through the process that I just went through, I'm not doing the deal. I am not working the 12 steps. If I'm not working that last step and taking somebody else through this book and showing them this is, this is the precise way that I recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, I'm not doing the deal. And I know many, too many people that I know that go through those first 11 steps and they keep it to themselves. And guess where they are 20 years down the road? They're miserable. Miserable. And again, I don't, uh, I was at a wedding. I'm going to end with this really quick. Two quick things. I was at a wedding of uh, a sponsee of mine who was also working in, um, in a treatment center. And everybody that got up was speaking about the, the groom and, um, you know, oh, you save lives. They kept saying, oh, you know, like, we're so proud of you working in treatment. Like, you're saving so many young men's lives, and et cetera, et cetera, and just over and over. Everybody, I was asked to, to get up to the podium and say something. <laughs> and I went up and I said, I, I don't want to sound rude or anything, but because uh, I work at the same treatment center as the guy. I said, we don't save lives. We don't. We cannot take ownership or responsibility for that at all. It's God. Right? If you have, a, if you have let's say you have cancer, you go to the hospital, and they are able to perform a surgery get that cancer out. I go home, I start to recover, you know, I, I, I have a, a speedy recovery. I go back to the hospital. Do I go into the supply room and thank the scalpel? No, I go to the doctor. I thank the doctor. In Alcoholics Anonymous, in working with others, I'm just the scalpel. That's it. God is the doctor. All right, creator is the doctor. I just do the work that's set out for me to do. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. I'm a simple tool 
and my experiences can benefit others. All those things that I said were the worst things that ever happened to me become my greatest assets. I can help others through those things. And I've been through a few things in my life. In the 12th step, I'm going to end with this. I I do my best to pass this on as often as I can. Um, Full disclosure and transparency, I end up like choking up and tearing up almost every time I say this too. Uh, So it probably will happen, and that's okay. Big boys don't cry, but men do. Right? So... Again, it's, it's, it's my responsibility to carry this message to the alcoholic who still suffers. In active alcoholism, I'm out there wandering around in the pitch black darkness with a bunch of people that look strangely like all of you, right? I'm out there with other people that are just lost and struggling in the dark. And one day, I finally pushed my way through all of these people and all this sadness, this darkness, this depression, this alcoholism, this living nightmare. And I start to see a small glimmer of light. And I work my way towards it. And I end up at the base of these steps, these stairs, 12 steps. And so I start making my way up these steps. And each step I take, the light gets a little bit brighter and a little bit brighter. And I start looking back behind me over my shoulder at all these other people that are still wandering around there in the dark, in that life. And I think to myself, I never have to go there again. I never have to live or be in this darkness again with all these people, with all these terrible things happening. You know, the light at the end of the tunnel is the sun. And I'm going to be able to go out into this beautiful field and I'm going to live this happy, joyous, and free life. My troubles are over. And I keep going up those steps. It's brighter and brighter and brighter. And I get to the top of that 12th step. The light is so bright. And it turns out that that light at the top has been my creator holding a candle. My creator takes that candle, he puts it in my hand, and he says, now you have to go back in. Now you have to go back in. And that's what this is. That's what I'm doing here. Is taking that candle, taking that brightness, and going back into the darkness and saying, this is the way that I got out, you can follow me. That's it. I'm just a simple tool. I'm one of the stupid ones and I'm a tool. Thank you everybody, I'm out.